Uh, we're gonna, we're continuing in First Corinthians. Uh, uh, we've been in First Corinthians for a couple of months. I was like looking back, it was, like it was really only like the beginning of September, I think, that we started this. So it feels like longer than it's been. Uh, but our First Corinthians one ten has been our headline through the whole thing. Uh, and I was reminded when I was reviewing this this week that this is a mixture of the NIV and the message, but it says this. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you. You must learn to be considerate of one another, cultivating a life in common. Cultivating a life in common. Uh, and so uh, we've been reflecting on this uh, because we're planning to move at the end of November. That was what, as we were planning this preaching series, that was what really kind of lit the fire to say, let's talk about unity uh, because there's change coming. And so how do we stay unified in the midst of that? We did get to walk through the facility and go over the last kind of pieces of, our, of what will be our agreement with uh, First Methodist. Uh, you will talk more about that in the announcements today, but uh, the move is imminent. And so uh, I'm, I'm feeling that as we gather this morning as well. But we've made our way all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And I'm actually going to read this in the message this morning. Uh, because uh, throughout this, these 12 verses, Paul's talking about uh, tongues and prophecy, and he's contrasting the two. And those are words that kind of get our, like, sensors up, like, whoa, whoa, that's weird stuff, though, right? And, and in the message, he translated it in a way that doesn't sound quite as weird, but I'm telling you, it's also a faithful translation. So, um, like, if you read this in a different translation, which I would encourage you to do, You'll hear Paul talking about tongues and prophecy. Uh, in the message, he's going to talk about your personal prayer language. So if you have more questions about this, I would love to get together and talk about it. But basically understand that when the Spirit, like we receive all of the Spirit in our baptism, and then the Spirit moves in us throughout our life, and, that's, and the Holy Spirit manifests in a lot of different ways. One of those ways that the Scripture testifies to is that uh, we pray in tongues that that nobody understands, okay? Now, and then you get, there are lots of different theologies about what prayer languages are, right? I had a friend when we were in, when we did mission work, who every country we went to, she would find somebody and she would just use her, her prayer language in front of them, waiting until they understood. We got to India and there was like a weird Indian, like a, not weird, a, 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 a rare Indian dialect that note that like somebody goes, oh, you're speaking my language. So who knows? This is like, so tongues is like one of those things that we tend to go like, oh, that's, I mean, I don't, that's, we, that's what weird people do, right? But like the scriptures tell us that it happens. And, 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 and if you want to talk more about that, we can. That's just a caveat, a preface to 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 12, because Paul's getting into that here. Okay. So here's what he says. And I'm going to read it in the message. Go after a life of love as if your life depended on it, because it does. Give yourself to the gifts God gives you. Most of all, try to proclaim his truth. If you praise him in the private language of tongues, God understands you, but no one else does. For you are sharing intimacies just between you and him. But when you proclaim his truth in everyday speech, you're letting others in on the truth so that they can grow and be strong and experience his presence with you. The one who prays using a private prayer language certainly gets a lot out of it, but proclaiming God's truth to the church in its common language brings the whole church uh, into growth and strength. 
I want all of you to develop intimacies with God in prayer, but please don't stop with that. Go on and proclaim his clear truth to others. It's more important that everyone have access to the knowledge and love of God in language everyone understands than that you go off and cultivate God's presence in a mysterious prayer language. Unless, of course, there is someone who can interpret what you are saying for the benefit of all. Think, friends, if I come to you and all I do is pray privately to God in a way that only he can understand, what are you going to get out of that? If I don't address you plainly with some insider truth or proclamation or teaching, what help am I to you? If musical instruments, flutes, say, or harps aren't played so that, uh, they, that each note is distinct and in tune, how will anyone be able to catch the melody and enjoy the music? If the trumpet call can't be distinguished, will anyone show up for the battle? So if you speak in a way no one, under, no one can understand, what's the point of opening your mouth? There are many languages in the world, and they all mean something to someone. But if I don't understand a language, it's not going to do me much good. It's no different with you. Since you're so eager to participate in what God is doing, why don't you concentrate on doing what helps everyone in the church? So we're getting a picture here of how Paul is saying they should talk to one another and how they should share what God is saying to them. Okay? So, like, um, uh, I, I would say this. I would say, like, most of us, all of us, who, who encounter God and receive his spirit want our love for God to overflow to others. Like, when you're captured by God and the salvation of Jesus Christ takes hold of your life, that is the kind of thing that tends to overflow in your life, that you want to show in your life. You want that love of God to boil over in you, uh, uh, flow out of you, that others might see the power of God in you. And as we've been talking about for several weeks now, the Corinthians had disagreements about who could do this the best. They had disagreements about who could be the best Christian, the coolest Christian, the most flashy Christian. And Paul is kind of tearing down that idea of different levels of Christians. But one of the ways that was was about who prayed in tongues and who didn't. And so people were coming into the gathering and just bringing their personal prayer language into the gathering uh, and, and, and letting it kind of just fly. And Paul's going, like, you know, that's not helpful, right? He's like, that doesn't help anybody. You're just showing off, right? And so he's saying, rather than just praying in a prayer language, why don't you actually, and the, and the language as it's translated in the NIV is, you should prophesy over people in language they understand. And so prophecy is another one of those words that some of us, depending on where you grew up, you're like, wait a minute, I'm not, did, does that still happen? Do people still do that? Is that like fortune tellers or what's the deal? A really handy definition for prophecy is uh, when you speak what God is saying. So you listen to God and you say what God is saying over other people. That's prophecy, okay? And Paul is saying you should do that in language people can understand. Because you see the Corinthians coming from kind of their pagan background, what they were used to is you go into a place where you worship some deity and you kind of catch a spirit and have this ecstatic expression and that that's like evidence that that God has captured you. And so it had become this thing where like, they, like their worship had gotten disorderly, which he goes on to talk about, and he says some problematic things about women. Another thing that if you want to talk more about that, I would love to talk about that with you, okay? But he goes on to talk about disorder and order in worship because one of the things that was happening was everybody was coming into the gathering saying whatever they want and doing whatever they want, and there was this disorganized mess that wasn't helping anybody because they're all focused on who can give the most ecstatic expression of the Spirit in them. And so, uh, so that becomes a problem, 
right? Born of a healthy desire. I want the love of God to flow out of me. I want people to know that the spirit lives in me. It became this disorderly mess where people were competing for attention, trying to show who was better by how they prayed out loud. And I think like uh, our gatherings have their own kind of disorder, right? But uh, not like that. Not because we're all in here trying to gain attention, right? Um, more because we're just real. We're being real, okay? So uh, we don't, we don't, we're not artificially quiet. But, uh, but, but I think for us, it's not so much that we're all coming in here trying to see who can be the loudest. But I think for us, particularly in the Western church, it has become this thing. Uh, has anybody heard the term Christianese? I'll get a couple of nods. It's a, it's a term people use to talk about language that Christians get, but nobody else does. So, you know, like Chinese, Cantonese, what's another language that ends in ease? Portuguese. Portuguese, Christianese, right? So it's a language of Christians that nobody else understands. And sometimes I think this is, this is kind of how we start to talk to people, right? So like you might say to, some, to your neighbor, they would say, how are you doing? And you go, oh. I'm just too blessed to be stressed, right? Like, which like might mean something to you, but they're like that. I mean, that what? So you're feel? Why do your feelings rhyme? You know, like that might be the thing, or like you might say. Um, uh, so like sometimes we speak in Christianese, and it makes no sense to anybody else, right? Um, or like uh, somebody comes to you and they're like, "Man, I just lost my job," right? And you go, "Ah, oh, it's all in God's plan," right? Which, like, so, like, as a follower of Jesus, maybe in my story, understanding that God is at work in my story has been comforting to me. And so this, my neighbor comes to me and says, I just lost my job. And I'm like, oh, you know what's comforting to me? God being in control of my life. So I'll tell them, don't worry, you lost your job. It's all in God's plan, right? And, and I'm thinking I'm comforting them because that's, that, that seems comforting to me. But really, like, if... So you're telling me it's a good thing that God got me fired, right? Like that's what they're starting to hear, right? Or like, um, or like, uh, you, 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 oh man, I'm just so stressed. I'm having a hard time with my kids. My job is overloading me. Uh, I feel like you know, like our we're, our budget is getting tight. Well, don't worry. God doesn't give you more than you can handle, right? Like. Like, now, now listen, things like it's all in God's plan and God doesn't give you more than you can handle. As a theologian, I would say, they're not great theology. But, so, so that, but that aside, what I think is often happening is, as Christian people, we desire to share the love of God with others and we're trying to give witness to the goodness of God. And so uh, when somebody comes to us with a problem, we kind of throw, um, like, phrases and, 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 and sayings at them. Or we might even quote scripture to these people out of context. And we're thinking that we're being comforting. But because they haven't had our experience, they might not be a part of a family of faith. Those words don't actually mean anything to them. Right? So a word like blessed, that in Christian culture means a certain thing, in the rest of the world, like, might not mean anything. Right? Or like, how about this? Like, when I say a word like plan... When I'm in here and I go, like, God has a plan, that means one thing. I go, out, I go outside of the community of faith and I start talking about a plan. It means a whole different thing. It's like a Gantt chart with steps and you take in the if-thens and like, that's a plan, 
right? But like, that's not what we mean when we say God has a plan. God's not up in heaven with a spreadsheet dictating who loses their job when, right? So like, there's, like this language that we've developed means something different to us than it does to everybody else. But I think very often what's happening is when we try to give witness to our faith, when we try to give witness to our faith, uh, we're actually talking more about our story than theirs. And this is where the problem really lies. It's like I'm more focused on myself than I am on you. And so I tell you something that means, that's meaningful to me, but I haven't actually listened long enough to figure out what's meaningful to you. So like when Aaron and I worked for a missions organization, we worked for a missions organization that sent 21 to 35-year-olds around the world, 11 countries in 11 months. And then we worked for that organization training people before they went out. So we would do like a multi-day camp, like where, where we, were, we would do some spiritual formation and some team building before these people went out on the mission field. And very often what happened is people who had just completed that trip, 21 to 35-year-olds who had just completed that trip, would come back and they would volunteer at the camp to help facilitate the experience. And we would have to train people because what would happen is we'd have a good time of worship, there'd be some teaching, and then, people, and then these participants at the camp could receive prayer. And the alumni of the trip would be the volunteers who would pray over them. But if you're not careful, somebody comes and says, wow, you know, God is revealing this in me. I'm really, I have anxieties about this trip or, you know, my parents aren't supportive or whatever. And the volunteer goes, oh, that's like this thing that happened in my life. Let me tell you about my life, right? And like, because we're trying to relate to people, so we just start talking about ourselves, right? And so we had to teach them, like, we had to teach these volunteers, like, hey, ministering to somebody is not about you, it's about them. So all you have to do is listen for what God is saying over them and agree with what God is saying over them. You don't have to tell them your story, right? Like, that's, like that's, that's a different thing. And there's a time and a place for that if they ask for your story. But it's not about you. It's about what God is doing for them. And I think that's what Paul is saying here. Because he's saying, if you come into the worship gathering and you just start praying in your private prayer language, you just start praying in tongues, that's about you. That's a you and God thing. And that's great. I want you to have a you and God thing. But the intimacy you've created with, the intimacy you've developed with God, or God has developed with you, uh, the outflow of that is not more of the same for other people to look at. The outflow of that is you actually speaking to people in a way that's edifying to them. Right? So look at this. He says, um, verses 6 through 8. Think, friends, if I come to you and all I do is pray privately to God in a way only he can understand, what are you going to get out of that? If I don't address you plainly with some insight or truth or proclamation or teaching, what, am I, what help am I to you? Now get this. If musical instruments, flutes, say, or harps, aren't played so that each note is distinct and in tune, how will anyone be able to catch the melody and enjoy the music? If the trumpet call can't be distinguished, will anyone show up for the battle? So he's making two uh, comparisons here. He's like, if you play instruments in a way that nobody understands the melody, what good is it? Or if you play the trumpet and nobody can hear it, who's going to show up for battle? So what he's saying is, instruments are for making melodies. Trumpets are for calling people to battle. So like the evidence of the thing is the action that results. So the words you speak on God's behalf are for the edification of others. Just like instruments are for melodies and trumpets are for calling to battle, 
You speaking to others the words of God are for edification and encouragement. People should be edified when you speak the words of God over them. They shouldn't be uh, overly discouraged. They shouldn't be shamed or condemned. They should be edified, built up, encouraged. And so here's the deal. Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and I believe uh, these words are true for us as well, that like uh, God speaking to you has a purpose. And that purpose is the extension of the gospel into the lives of others. That's a pretty big deal, right? Like this should sound like hope to us because people come to us and they say, oh, I lost my job. Oh, I'm feeling dejected. My marriage is falling apart. And we go, I have nothing to give them. I guess I'll just quote Bible verses at them. What Paul is saying is, no, you do have something to give them. God speaks through you to them. This is a possibility. Like the, the reality is you are in the places you are as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. God speaks through you that others might receive hope. This should be encouraging to us that we are people who bring hope into the world. That, by, uh, that simply by listening to God and speaking what he's saying, hope will break out. God is giving you something to say. And when you speak the word of God, hope breaks out. As an ambassador of God, your words carry the hope of the gospel. And so again, this is where like, I think our tendency is to try to tell people what worked for us rather than asking God what will work for them. And so what we get to do, if we can slow down and like not panic, because again, it's scary to think that I'm going to be in a position where somebody needs something from me and I'm, I feel like I don't have it, right? And so that's when we panic and we just give them what worked for us. But what Paul is saying is like, if you can speak in a way that they understand, you can actually bring encouragement and edification to the people around you. And so this is where like... Uh, like your, like, your prayer life is good. Your knowledge of the Bible is good. Uh, but but what, what unlocks hope for others is when you, when you leverage that prayer life and you take that knowledge of the Bible and you apply it in context to the life of someone else so that they can actually receive hope from the words that you're speaking, not just an expectation that they would look like you. So for me, this plays out in like, I've, I've had the opportunity to speak with people, like to be in a position to speak hope to people who are staring at a lifetime in prison, whose marriages are falling apart, who don't know what they want to do with their life. Uh, and so like in those circumstances, I've also had the opportunity to talk to neighbors who just feel like they have no purpose in their life. So big things and, and regular things. And for me, it's like... Um, so I'm speaking to someone who thinks their like their life has no purpose, or it's or like or um, like speaking to somebody who maybe has broken the law, or their or their marriage is falling apart. And what I'm able to go is like, okay, what do I know about how God works? Well, I know that God loves all of us and gives all of us good gifts. I know that um, God can redeem any situation. I've seen it happen in my life, and I know that like we can grow in whatever circumstance we're in. So these are things I know about God, right? But I don't just say to that person, I don't just say, well, God loves you, right? Oh my gosh, I made this terrible mistake. Well, God loves you. It's true. But what, I listen, what we can listen for is like, what would it mean for them in their circumstance for God to love them where they are, right? And so sometimes what's even more powerful than, than saying God loves you is saying, I love you. 
The love of God in me compels me to love you. And I'm here with you right now. Right? Like that's like, or, um, hey, I know you feel like you messed it all up, but there is a way forward. Let's look at your options. I know it feels like there's only one, there's only, you're backed into a corner here, but let's figure out your options. That's the gospel to people in language they can understand. So like one of the things I'm always doing when I'm talking to people who feel like they're in a tough spot is like, well, it's either this or that. I'm going like, well, let's find the third way, right? Like because always Jesus is making another way out. But like if I say to them, always Jesus is making another way out, they're like, what does Jesus have to do with it, right? But if I help them generate options and find another way out, that actually sounds like hope. And I can be an ambassador of love to them in ways that they understand. And this is what Paul is saying to the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, friends, you being connected to the Father, you uh, having access to the Spirit, you praying in a language that only God can understand, those are all good byproducts of being called and loved by Jesus. But in the end, in the end, the words that you speak over others should be words that actually bring hope, not confusion. They should actually bring possibility, not shame. They should actually bring the gospel, not just uh, law, right? Not just behave like me, act like me, but actually like God is liberating you to live into who he's called you to be. And so the thing that's exciting to me about this is that we as a community are people who can speak the words of God over others. And that doesn't mean just memorize the Bible and quote scripture to them. It actually means show up fully present as an ambassador of Jesus is exactly you to be the person who brings hope into hopeless situations. You can listen to God and speak what he's saying. And when you do, hope breaks out. The gospel is let loose and, our, and, and lives will be changed. Amen? Amen.